Hey, thanks for joining us on this podcast. I'm Bill Search, and I'm joined with uh, my friends Brett Williams and Michael Foster. Guys, thanks for being part of the podcast today. Awesome. Hey, Glad to be here. All right. Well, over the last few podcasts, we've been working our way through this kind of rubber-hits-the-road book in the New Testament called James. And it was a, it was a letter written by James to fellow Christians who grew up Jewish, and uh, it's just full of all kinds of practical stuff. That's why I think of this book as the rubber-hits-the-road book of the New Testament. And today's topic is going to be about what we say, but in particular, kind of some of the undergirding issues that uh, kind of impact what we say. So kind of an opening question just to sort of get you thinking. I'm not going to ask you guys this question yet. You can answer it a little bit. But the question for all of us to think about is, you ever, have you ever put your foot in your mouth? And maybe let me rephrase that. When was the last time you put your foot in your mouth? Because I know you've done it because I've done it. We have all done it, which kind of leads to a real question, which is why are we so quick to speak? I mean, we know it's not a good idea. James knew it wasn't a good idea 2,000 years ago. He says this in James 1, verse 19 and 20. He says, everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry, because human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. And honestly, I think it's harder even in our modern era, thanks to things like social media. I mean, someone posts something stupid on Facebook or or Twitter or something else, and and my gut reaction is to jump on it. I want to start an argument. Sometimes I'm at night, like at night, I'm sitting on the couch next to my wife, Karen, and I'll narrate, I'll read this post. I'll be like, can you believe someone would say that? And these are my Facebook friends or something, and I'll, I'll narrate what I'd like to say. And she looks at me and is like, don't you dare. And she knows I won't, even though I want to. But just swinging back to James, you know, what James says is, he says three things. Be quick to listen, be slow to speak, and be slow to become angry. So guys, is this, is this easy or hard? What, what, what about these three things is easy or not so easy? What do you think? I, f I find it really hard because I really enjoy uh, being the comedian. I like saying things that are very funny and it reminds me and I'll share the story on myself about how I put my foot in my mouth is we're doing a big cutover with our phone system and we've got the phone system people, uh, major tech support on the line and they're transferring everything over from our old system to the new system. It's a big deal. And the tech that we're working with has just got a really, really dry personality. And so, you know, we put her on mute and the guys I'm working with are, are kind of giving her a hard time about how she's um, probably not a lot of fun at parties and probably doesn't have a whole lot of friends. And um, I decided to speak up and, and, you know, we're going back and forth. And I said, well, why don't we ask Miss Personality over there, not realizing the phone's on, not on mute. And so she hears everything ah. that, that, she's, that we're saying and she goes, um, excuse me? And so not only do we have a really dry um, time on the phone with this lady, it now becomes very, very icy. And so that desire for me to want to be funny in front of my friends and to, to be jovial, um, I should have been much, much more quickly to, to listen and not say anything in this situation than to try to be the funny guy and say something really funny. And that, that's actually been a lot of the times that I've put my foot in my mouth. I can't tell you how many meetings I want to say something that's just really, really funny, that's completely off point, uh, and it puts, makes me put my foot in my mouth. 
I can relate to that a lot, Michael. I do a lot of the same things. I, I think about a time, you know, this might shock you both, you know, knowing my personality now, but in my late teens and early 20s, I was the exact opposite of these three things. I rarely listened to anyone. I was really quick to speak because I wanted to, I wanted to be heard. I wanted everyone to know what I had to say because I thought I had all the right answers. I was really quick to get angry. And I just had this self-righteous fire burning in me that I thought I knew what, the, uh, what was best. And uh, I look back, I blame it now all on the testosterone at that time, you know. Uh, but as I continue to mature in my walk with Christ on these three things, uh, it becomes a little easier each day. And I, I emphasize a little. I mean, it's just a little bit easier each day. I still have to work on it in daily practice um, to, to listen first and then, you know, then be slow to, to speak um, and also keep my anger uh, emotions in check. Stephen Covey's book, Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. If you haven't read it yet, I highly encourage it. It's a fantastic book. But habit number five is seek first to understand, then be understood. And, and Stephen says, most people do not listen with the intent to understand. They listen with the intent to reply. And I just think that's fascinating because I still do that to this day. I think we just tapped into two like key issues that guys deal with. We either want to be funny and the entertainer or we want to win. So like the thing turns into competition. Testosterone, you just mentioned, Brett, like there's just something in a dude that says, I want to come in first place here or I want to be the funniest guy in the room. Well, and if you think about both of those, it's almost like that you're really wanting to be at the center of attention, whether it's being the most powerful in the room or you're trying to be the funniest person in the room. Either one of those is going to get eyes on you. You know, I think you're right. And maybe that's what James is getting at here, being slow to become angry, is that that, self, that, that trend line towards self-centeredness is I want to be the first to speak. I want, to, I, I want people to listen to me. And when I'm not at the center, I get ticked off. And so maybe that's part of what James is getting at here. Maybe the anger is rooted in something to do with someone else getting attention for a change instead of us. You know, it's interesting, several hundred years before James wrote this, a Greek philosopher uh, named Zeno of Elia, he wrote, we have two ears, but one mouth, that we may hear more and speak less. It's funny because that gets repeated a lot in our culture. You'll hear people say, you have two ears and one mouth, you know, and there'll be some variation of it. But the guy named Zeno of Elia, now you know, that's where it came from historically. And so the real question then is, how do we do it? How do we come, become the kind of people that are very slow to speak and quick to listen and slow to become angry? And what James says is, gives us a clue. He says something that Peter and Paul both say in their writings. He says, therefore, get rid of all moral filth and the evil that is so prevalent and humbly accept the word planted in you, which can save you. So what he literally says is, get rid of moral filth. It has this uh, this idea of stripping off your dirty clothes. And I mentioned Peter and Paul use that same visceral example as James does. That, that uh, you know, you've been working out, uh, you got your, your clothes reek, they smell bad, they're dirty. And so when you get done with that kind of workout, you got to strip off the clothes. In fact, like if I've been working in the yard and I'm particularly filthy after the garage doors are closed because our laundry room's right next to the like the door that enters the house from the garage, I'll like close the garage doors and I'll strip off my dirty clothes in the garage because I don't even want to 
track the dirty clothes into the house. And so St. James is like saying, man, you are filthy. You got, you got junk all over you. Get that off now. But then there's a second part. It's not just take off the dirty clothes. It's, it's then to humbly accept the word planted in you. And this idea of the word planted in you is like, is the, the presence of God's Holy Spirit in you, helping you humbly accept to become, really conveys this idea of being a teachable person. So what James is saying is you want to be the kind of person that honors God here. You've got to do two things. You've got to repent of your sin. That is get rid of the junk off you. And then you've got to be teachable and responsive to what God has to say to you. And so here's the question, guys. Um, why is it important to do both of these things that they'd be operating at once? Our repentance and our turning away from sin and, uh, and, to, and to respond to God's teaching. In other words, what happens if we only repent, but we don't learn from God? Or what is it if we try to learn from God, but we won't turn away from our sin? What, what's the problem with doing just one of these things? For me, I feel like the key to this question is in the phrase turning from sin. We all sin and can ask for forgiveness for those sins, but it's through reading God's word that we learn how to turn away from those sins and how to walk in God's favor. If we just repent and ask for forgiveness for the sins we do every day with no intentions of learning uh, why that's not walking in God's favor or why that is a sin um, or how to get better at our Christian walk, then really we're just not being a very teachable person. And, and Bill, I like that, that idea of stripping off your dirty clothes. And it just really took me back to a time in which I remember we were out in the garage doing a, a, a project when I was a kid and my dad got some paint stripper on his pants and it started to kind of burn his skin through his pants. And I have never seen someone get out of a pair of pants so quickly. <laughs> and it's not just that, that, that those pants are dirty and smelly and stinky. It's that they're dangerous. That really can, that, that, that paint stripper can eat through. And so I think that's a really interesting perspective of is if you're dealing with sin in your life, you got to get it off as quickly as possible. And so, you know, it does take both of those is to, is to repent and to respond to God. Um, is that if you just do half of those, um, then, then there's, I think, a piece that's definitely missing. And you're either going to be, you know, sorry for what you did, but yet continue to do it. Or maybe you're going to stop what you've done and really not acknowledge the fact that it's hurt someone or something and it's probably yourself along with other people. And so you just kind of leave it half undone. And just like you would get paint stripper on your pants, you're not going to leave them on. You're going to get them off as fast as possible because it is dangerous. And sin in our lives that's unconfessed and continuation um, is very dangerous and we need to flee from it as fast as possible. You know, I think that you guys bring up a couple of good points there. And, and we, we tend to do, uh, all of us have seen one of those operating or been affected by it. Either we have done it where we've like said, hey, I, I acknowledge what I did was wrong, but we don't know what to do. You mentioned that. Or we, uh, or, or we um, try to study something. We try to learn something, but because we haven't turned away from that previous bad life, we got the pants partway still on, nothing really quite works out. And so we're left frustrated because we're only dealing with sort of half the equation. 
And, uh, you know, James, he, he weaves some like first century humor in. It's not really funny to us, but it's funny in his original audience. At least the scholars say there was a little humor here. People probably chuckled when they read it. He says this, he goes on, he says, don't merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like someone who looks at his face in a mirror. And after looking at himself, he goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. That's the funny part. Again, we probably aren't laughing too loudly over that one, but century people would have thought it was hilarious about a guy studying himself in the mirror and walking away forgetting what he looked like. And James goes on, he says, but whoever looks intently at the perfect law that gives freedom and continues in it, not forgetting what they'd heard, but doing it, they'll be blessed with, with what they do. And we've talked about this before, but James, he grew up with Jesus, same family. And so anybody who grew up in the home of like a preacher or a Sunday school teacher, they know, they can tell you that preachers and teachers are always working out their material on the people around them. If, uh, if you don't have people around you and you have animals around you, you preach into the animals. And this is probably James grew up hearing pieces of, say, the Sermon on the Mount that Jesus gives much later, well before anybody else did. And I'm just speculating, of course, because the, the Bible doesn't give us any information about how any of this happened. We don't have clear pictures of it, but I just can't imagine that Jesus was pretty quiet until he turned 30 and then all of a sudden became kind of this blockbuster teacher all over Judea. I have a feeling that he was giving sermons at the dinner table to his own family. Not an obnoxious preachy. I just think that that's probably that insight and he was sharing the insight. And so go with me here, you know. You just imagine, you know, Matthew, he records in chapter seven about two guys who build their houses on very different foundations. One guy, he takes the time, prepares the stone and forms the house on rock. And the other guy, he just decides, I got to get this house up fast. And he just like begins building his house after he rakes the sand flat. And when the storms come, as they always will, the rock foundation house is fine and the sand foundation house is wiped away. And I think, I think that this is the image that, that James is thinking of. It would totally make sense. If you had grown up with Jesus, he might have heard that story a time or two. And, and most of us who know that story may not realize that there's a context to the story. Jesus wasn't just telling a neat parable. He was saying, a guy who listens to what I just taught over the previous couple chapters in Matthew, Matthew 5 and 6 and 7, he says, the guy who listens and does it is like the guy who builds his house on the rock. And the guy who listens to me and doesn't do anything with it is like a guy who builds his house on sand. And so this humor part that, that I mentioned that James is using, he's like, he's like, it's like a guy who studies his face in a mirror and nobody, well, most of us probably don't study our faces in the mirror. We probably look in the mirror to make sure there's not stuff in our teeth or to make sure our hair looks proper. You know, you usually you look in the mirror before you go out of the house. You don't want to go out of the house with hair sticking up. At least I don't. So what James is saying, he's like, it's like a guy who goes in the morning before he's off to work and he studies his face in the mirror to make sure he looks presentable. And then he walks away after looking at his face and seeing dirt on it and seeing hair all disheveled, but he doesn't do anything about it. It's like that guy. The guy who does that is like the guy who listens to all of God's teaching and then just doesn't do anything with it. It's just like, well, it's like my 14-year-old son who looks in the mirror and shrugs and walks away ungroomed. It's meant to make you laugh. The point is, is it's ridiculous. So here's the question, guys. Why do people collect information 
that they don't do anything with. They just store up more. They just accumulate more, but they don't do anything with it. Why, why are people tempted to do that? Bill, this totally reminds me of my collegiate experience of taking some of those classes that you knew that you would never use that information again. And you learn it well enough just to, to maybe pass the class. My grades would probably reflect well on how much I cared about this information. Um, and I think for me, a lot of it was just laziness or even the fact of faith of trusting the information enough to actually move and act on it. And so whether it's laziness or whether it's a trust issue that you're, you're not moving and acting on information. So a statistics class probably isn't going to have a huge impact on your life of whether you remember what a standard deviation is or anything like that. Um, when we're talking about spiritual things, it has a whole lot more meaning and much, much longer term consequences of acting on to that information. Yeah. And, and for me, you know, I, I think, uh, I think one of the reasons is fear. Um, I've read several entrepreneurial books about how to uh, start a small business or, or, or how to get my ideas out there. And for me, I, I, I have all this knowledge and know how of how to do it, but I have this fear of taking that leap of faith to, you know, start my own business. And, and so it's, it's almost like with God's word, right? We, we, we know what God's word is telling us to do, but we just have that fear of acting on it and knowing what, you know, maybe stipulations it might put on us, or maybe we have to start doing things a little bit differently or how other people might perceive us. Um, we have that fear that maybe we're, you know, we're not following truly what God's word is saying now. You know, I think you, uh, well, that really speaks into my own experience. If I think about it, if I, if I don't do something that that I have learned that I know that will help me. I mean, there's some information we learn. We're like, I don't know what to do with that, you know. But I'm talking about the stuff that you hear it and you go, my life would be better if I put this into practice. Usually, there's two reasons I don't. It's because I'm lazy or I'm afraid. And that is so common for guys. I think I appreciate you bringing both of those things out because that is so, so true. It's just that we just don't want to put the work in to put it into practice, or we're just afraid that we'll be made fun of or, uh, or we'll, we'll lose out on something fear. So I think that there's, I, that's important for us when we're studying the scriptures. I think it's important for us to ask some why questions. Why would a person do that? Cause so often we read something like that and we go, boy, it's like a guy who, who listens and he doesn't do it. And we just sort of shake our head and go, well, what a ridiculous guy who would do that. Well, the truth is, we all are tend. We all tend to do that, and so the question is, why would we do that? And then, when we get to the bottom of the, why would we do that? Then we can do something about that. Then I can address the fear, or, or I can address the laziness to it. Well, James has this incredibly hopeful statement. He says, "But whoever looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues in it, not forgetting what they have heard, but doing it, they'll be blessed in whatever they do." And, and he says this perfect law that gives freedom and the way we understand that, that, that must be the gospel because Jesus said, I came to free people. And so if, if you even look at in the gospels and ask, you know, he, Jesus was asked, Hey, what's the most important commandment? He says, well, you know, it's to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, strength, mind. In other words, uh, and then the second commandments like it, love your neighbor as yourself. Cause if you do those two, 
the entirety of the, uh, really of the scriptures hold together on this idea of loving God fully and completely and loving your neighbor as yourself. You do those two things, you're not going to break the commandments. You're not going to break the laws. You're going to actually be a terrific friend, neighbor, spouse, parent. And so, you know, I, I also love that there's a context all this takes place in. And sometimes you have to do a little digging in history to appreciate the context. And James is, is writing this little section here. It's just real practical on being slow to speak and quick to listen and slow to become angry. And, uh, you know, it doesn't take a whole lot of digging into history to realize that where James is doing ministry, he's got a lot of hot heads around him. The, the historical term for him were zealots. But these were people who were very zealous for God's reputation in the community, but they really also were zealous to get rid of Rome. They hated Rome. And you can kind of picture that as James is growing that church, as God's growing the church under James' leadership, this is all taking place in Jerusalem in the first couple of, of decades after the resurrection. So the church is brand new. People are coming into the church. And they're coming in just as they are. And some of the people that are coming in are raw. I mean, they are just new believers. And new believers act like baby Christians. And you can imagine that some of the people in his church were saying, got to get rid of these Romans. These Romans are really wrecking this place. And so you can kind of picture that what James is getting at is he might be directing some of his, his sermon here, his letter here to a very specific group of people. Now, I want to be clear. I'm not suggesting that he's only talking to zealots and hotheads. He's talking to everybody. But I think that there is a tendency among some people to act on such strong emotion that they just don't sort of wrestle down. They're, they're waiting to be angry about stuff. And it's not just back 2,000 years ago. I think it's true today. I read a book by uh, Senator Ben Sass from Nebraska, and uh, he used this line. He talked about the outrage industrial complex, and he's making kind of a fun quote off of uh, President Eisenhower's old in, uh, military industrial complex, and he's taking that line, and he's applying it to today, and he's saying, you know, people today are just looking for a reason to be ticked off. There's an entire industrial complex of outrage. People are just waiting to be mad. And so anyhow, where am I going with this? Where I'm going with this is this, is that, that as James was writing to a group of, of impassioned people, and he's telling them, look, don't lose your cool. Don't lose your cool. What, what happened, history tells us, not long after this book was written, is that a group of zealots, hotheads, inspired enough people to their cause that they began to incite a civil war in Judea. And that civil war meant that Roman legions came into the Holy Land. They were already there, but more of them showed up. And what history tells us is that Roman general Vespasian and his son Titus stamped down the rebellion. And in the process of, of uh, uh, stamping down that rebellion, they destroyed the city of Jerusalem. They destroyed the temple. They laid waste to the all of Judea. Now, I know you've seen the Roman Colosseum. And you see this beautiful architecture and this incredible uh, facility. And most of us look at it, and it never even occurs to us to say, how'd they pay for that thing? I bet you've never asked that question. Well, historians know how they paid for the thing. They paid for the thing with loot they brought back from the Holy Land. After General Vespasian became Emperor Vespasian, 
he decided to build this big, beautiful Colosseum in his honor and in the honor of Rome. And the way he paid for it was treasure pilfered from the temple in Jerusalem. And catch this, this is a, just a kind of a quick connect the dots. Hot heads in Jerusalem and Judea, intent on protecting the dignity of the Holy Land, led to its destruction and its plundering. And it almost, you go, we pull back to what, what James said. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry because human anger, this is ironic, human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. Human anger produces something for sure, but all too often it produces destruction. It destroyed the temple. Human anger destroys the temple in Jerusalem. It, it fuels the Roman Empire, anger does. So maybe the next time you're about to lose your cool, just picture that Colosseum and think to yourself, is my anger, <laughs> is my anger worth the kind of destruction? I bet it isn't. So pray for God to give you the strength to slow your tongue and to slow your pulse. And speaking of prayer, Michael, why don't you close us out in prayer? All right. Dear Father, we thank you so much, Lord, for the words that you give us in your scripture. Um, as, lo as long as it's been since they've been written, they're still as applicable today as they were then. Lord, let us remember those scriptures that we read. Father, let us dig in your word and let us go ahead and act them out. Uh, if we have uh, sin that's in our lives, Father, I pray that we stop it. Uh, Father, I pray that we confess it to you, Lord, so we can be delivered from it. Um, let us flee from those things. Um, and Father, I pray that you would just uh, remind us uh, of your words to uh, be quick to listen and to slow to speak and slow to become angry. Lord, because of these things, um, I pray that we can change um, our lives and change our hearts, Lord, so that we be, may become more and more like you every day. In your name I pray. Amen. Guys, thanks for listening in on behalf of uh, of uh, Brett Williams and Michael Foster. This is Bill Search. Thank you for joining us for the Crossings Men podcast. Hope you have a great day. See you next time.